Today's guest on the show is Sean Calloway. She is a gifted artist and teacher. Her natural creativity flows through her in various forms, one of which is screen printing, where she has a successful Etsy shop for prints. She's a mother of two, a teacher, and a project developer at our very own Back to the Garden Childcare. You could say Sean is part of our nursery extended family. Her current project at the nursery centers around the outdoor spaces, the teepee, shed, and garden, which we'll discuss in today's episode. This episode covers Sean's journey, her inspiration, why boredom is key to creativity, why creativity is so important to society and children's well-being, and so much more. Happy listening. Hello, Sean, and welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm okay, thank you, Sadie. Thank you so much for coming. So we're going to kick off with the question that we ask all our guests, which is what is your earliest childhood memory or a pivotal moment for you during your childhood? Well, my childhood was here in Manchester. I'm one of the few people who's actually from Cholton before it was the Notting Hill of the North. And I grew up with my two siblings. I've got a younger brother and a younger sister. And it was a Shirley Hughes, perfect, lovely, simple childhood. Um, one of my first memories is of sitting with my brother Tom under a laundry basket, which we turned upside down and putting our fingers through the little holes in the plastic laundry basket and pretending to be lions together and roaring at my mum, who was obviously doing some kind of mum admin were in the kitchen cooking or something. And then that kind of feeling of putting our fingers through those holes and all of the light from outside of the basket being chopped up into tiny squares, which we could see on our arms, the, the sort of little squares of light all over our arms. That was a, uh, one of my early childhood memories. Just a little thing like a day-to-day, you know, it was probably something that happened loads. I think that's, I try and keep that in mind as a mum, but it, they, it's not the big things that you think that they'll remember it could be something tiny that that was just a really everyday little thing that they'll for some reason you it, it becomes something that you remember for the rest of your life so yeah simple uh special moments that you yeah that you remember it's interesting the way you said that that you it's not the big things so actually yeah. you mentioned your kids then um it'd be nice to hear a little bit about them yeah so i've got two boys and uh they are 11 and 8, so Owen has just started high school. He's an August birthday, like yourself, Sadie. Um, <laughs> so he's very young in the year, but um, yeah, he's just started high school and Joe, my younger son, is 8. So they are lovely, really. I can't imagine, I'm trying to think what life was like before we had children. And I remember when I, we said that we wanted to have children together, I was um, a bit nervous because we were really happy and had a you know really good relationship and our life was really good and I was a bit kind of like oh do I want to change things and bring something else into the mix of our lives or you know it's nice now but uh, obviously we, we did have our children and life is totally different but it's still really good and it, it's just impossible to imagine what it was like before they were here so I mean um I had him at home, had a home birth, interesting detail. Um, so he was born in my kitchen in Brighton where we lived at the time. And he is 
now a big, tall 11-year-old. He's really imaginative, quite quirky. He's a total bookworm. He's always got his head in a book. Um, he's a, a really interesting character. Um, and my youngest son, Joe, is very into fashion. He says to me, when I'm trying to dissuade him from wearing a completely weather inappropriate outfit, he's like, you wouldn't understand, Mum, because you don't love fashion. I love fashion. He likes his boiler suits. He likes accessorising with kind of steampunk goggles. And yeah, uh, he's really into drawing. They're both really into drawing, but um, Joe loves drawing. Owen really likes writing stories. Yeah, they're lovely. Both very creative. Yeah, they're, they're creative in, in different ways. So they they both really like drawing and they, Owen really likes writing, creative writing is his sort of superpower. And when he was little, I used to just get bits of A4, normal printer paper, fold those up and stitch them with my, either with my sewing machine or hand stitching to make little books for him. And then he'd write his own stories in there and illustrate them Um and he's still really into writing stories now. And um, yeah, and Joe's more into the kind of visual arts of drawing. And he's a bit like me. He's a bit of a perfectionist. And I see myself reflected in him. I used to get really frustrated when things didn't look the way I wanted them to. But yeah, they're both creative. Well, they're kids. Kids are always creative. Yeah, that's one of my, um, something I'd love to discuss as well later about children and creativity. And I, it'd be nice to hear about your childhood and obviously you're you're an artist and a creator what what were you like as a child were you into those things yeah um my mum's mum was a seamstress and so she had um an old-fashioned cranked hand-cranked sewing machine that she made amazing she was a tailoress so she could make amazing sort of jackets and things but she also had a huge rag bag that was full of little scraps of fabric and she had a button box that was a, felt like a huge box full of all these amazing single buttons, leftover buttons. And it was like a sort of history time capsule of all these buttons that she'd taken off things over decades and decades. And those kind of things just really fascinated me. And I, I always wanted to make stuff. My mum said that I was in a way quite high maintenance because they were trying to do up their house at the time. So they'd be sort of stripping wallpaper off and things like that. And my brother, who's two years younger, you could, even when he was tiny, you could give him a scraper and just say, right, Tom, scrape that wall. And he'd kind of get to work as a two-year-old up the ladder sort of scraping wallpaper. Whereas I'd be saying to my mum, can we, um, I've got a vision, let's wallpaper the doll's house. Let's create this. I was always kind of wanting to make stuff. I wasn't content with being helpful. I wanted to do my own make my own things I had a definite vision about what I wanted things to look like so and do you think she was your first inspiration um she was definitely she wouldn't have said that she was creative she always said I'm not artistic and she said your granddad was artistic he used to be able to draw and draw cartoons and things I never met him properly but um he died before I was born but my grand always said I'm not artistic but she was creative and she could make these, you know, all of these amazing things. But I guess she was a working class girl from the South Wales Valleys. She didn't have a, you know, an idea of herself as an artist. But those skills that she'd learned, you know, that were hard won, she did an apprenticeship that went on for five years. She left school young and did an apprenticeship. She had all of these amazing craft skills, but she didn't think of herself as artistic. But she was certainly a big inspiration to me. She had an amazing... Um, 
Welsh dresser in her living room, um, an old Welsh dresser. And in there, there were loads of treasures and things that I was just fascinated by. I used to look in there all the time. There were like um, photos of our family, black and white photos and amazing objects. I've got one which I can't show you because it's a podcast, but um, an inkwell that was it's a little tiny world, a globe. And when you press a button on the outside, it pops open and it's got an inkwell inside it. Oh, wow. And I was just fascinated by those kind of objects and the history of objects um, when I was a little girl. So her house and that environment was really inspiring to me. It sounds magical. She sounds like um, a character in a film, you know. I can When you're describing the house and all her things and the treasures, I can see it and imagine it. Now, what a beautiful way to spend some of your childhood in that kind of surrounding. So it's lovely hearing you talk about her. I'd love to hear a bit about your journey then from how it all happened, like your training and becoming an art teacher. Okay, Um, so I was the queen of bubble writing in my primary school class, obviously, math skills in the 80s. And um, also very good at neatly cutting out. So people often used to ask me to cut out and stuff like that for them in primary school. Um, And I was, you know, good at drawing. Um, So then when I went to high school, I um, really enjoyed art. I really enjoyed the quietness of the art room and being able to um, just be absorbed in a task and spend, you know, a lesson in my own space drawing or painting we were always painting like a crushed up coke can or a crumpled up whisper wrapper this was in you know manchester in the 90s like i don't think the art department had a very big budget but we had a really good art teacher there he was um, he'd made a huge castle he was quite into sort of sci-fi fantasy type art and he'd made a massive paper mache castle that took up about half the art room and i remember that being really amazing but um yeah, so I did art GCSE, got an A, um, and then did art at A level, and then went on to an art foundation at Manchester Met, which was an amazing year. It basically deconstructs you a little bit and makes you think like a child again and look at the world through the eyes of it, you know, being inspired and amazed by just everyday little details. And uh, I met a friend there who was kind of instrumental in, in making me look at the world in a just in wonder at tiny things around you that you sort of lose awareness of. But I think children see those things, but you lose that awareness as you get older. But that art foundation sort of rekindled that in me. And then I did my undergraduate degree at Manchester Met and made some really weird artwork there, conceptual artwork. So I did um, a whole project about the date stamp pages in the front of the library book. So, you know, the first page in a library book where they used to have the date stamp. I don't think they do now, sadly. But we used to look at them and be able to see, like, the last time this book was withdrawn was in 1972. Um, so I just got a whole shelf in the, in the library and scanned in that front page and then made a book of all of those pages so the whole book was just page after page of those date stamp pages so I did a few book binding projects and then um, I made for my final show degree it was all about learning things from books so 
I'm quite interested in charity shops and old-fashioned, you know, old objects and the history that objects have had before in their previous life with other owners. So I, I do charity shop quite a lot and look at vintage things. And so I've got lots of books and then I learned to do various stuff from those books. So there was one book about learning to cut hair. So my sister kindly allowed me to cut her hair using instructions from this book. And there was one about learning to dive. So I took a series of photos of me in different sort of positions of these dives and making things from books. Learning to dance from a book. So, yeah, it was quite a weird project. And then... Everyone had always said to me, you should be a teacher. You've got glasses. <laughs> so that obviously makes all the difference. You've got glasses. And I always like teachers. I've always got on with teachers. I've obviously got a teacher energy about me. And my dad was like, well, what are you going to do? You need to get a job. So I thought, right, I need to think about what to do next. So I went to Brighton University to do my PGC in secondary art education. And was thrown back into the classroom you get put back in the classroom really quickly and yeah, it was a bit of a baptism of fire and um, I remembered that high school was quite full on so I then wangled a my second placement to be in an, an FE college because I thought I'd, I'd like to teach post compulsory and I don't really want to teach in high school so yeah I went and worked in a, an FE college and then so I finished my PGC, I um, got a job in the sixth form, teaching art and graphic. And I was like a super fresh-faced 24-year-old who I used to just get mixed up with my students all the time. People would be like, where's the teacher in the room? Like, me! Yeah, it was a really good job. I liked the, you know, the banter with the students. It was really fun and I loved my subject. So that was my PGC and then my first teaching job. And while I was there, I did an MA in um, sequential design and illustration at Brighton, which is a really fun course. And I did a big project about, it started because we had to do a batch production project where we produced multiples of something for that didn't to cost under a pound to make. So I made um, Our Lady of the Crayons prayer cards. I don't know if she's got any Catholics in the family. My other glam, not the Welsh one, was Catholic. So obviously there's a lot of iconography within Catholicism. So I made these these Our Lady of the Crayons prayer cards. It was me pretending to be Our Lady with some crayons that had like a sort of holy glow coming out of them. And then there was a poem, like um, a prayer on the back um, about colouring in a big sky and give me strength to colour in a huge sky. Don't let my black crayon run out. Um, because that's always the one that runs out. Not from colour in the big sky, but you always use the black. Um, anyway, that gave me the idea to do a whole project about saints. It was about the martyrdom of different saints. So I made a, loads of spoof products and packaging based on the martyrdoms of different saints. So, for instance, Saint Apollonia is martyred by having her teeth smashed out. Um, so I made um, a sweet jar, a large sweet jar with a label on and then bought big gobstoppers and printed with food colouring onto the gobstoppers a logo that I'd made, the St Apollonia gobstopper logo. It was stuff like that. It was pretty weird. So cool. Love hearing about these projects. <laughs> it was fun. It was quite, yeah, it was cool. I 
I did a whole range. I did um, Saint Steve. So Saint Steve is um, was stoned to death. Obviously, stoned with stone. So I made um, Saint Steve rolling papers for the other kind of getting stoned. Oh, so, yeah, that's maybe clever. So clever. Just thinking about yeah, like different ways of looking at things and everything that you talked about from being a child and being fascinated by the history of objects and how that's listening to your story, like hearing how those that ran through. Um, and the, I love the thing about the books and the, the library books and the binding and um, yeah, really, really fascinating. And I love that way that children look at things um, with curiosity and openness and imagination and um yeah, it's really nice hearing you talk about your projects because you bring that to those. So there's a few things that I'd like to know. Like, I, I'd love to know how how you met Anne, who was a previous guest on the podcast and who also works at Back to the Garden. I'd love to know about that story and how that relationship developed and how you ended up at Back to the Garden. Um, and then we'll go into what, what exciting projects you're doing there. Um, so... My younger son, Joe, is um, at the same school as Anne's son, Tom. So they also weirdly look really similar. I don't know if we've got maybe a distant relative in common because Anne is from Bristol and my dad's from Bristol. But they are, these two boys look like twins. So uh, that was sort of probably how we first got chatting, like, hang on a minute, you're boy looks exactly like my boy um, but yeah we, we kind of got chatting probably in, on the school run and um, that's one of the things that I think is so great about being a mum, one of the things that's really great is mum friends and that's such a great support network having other mums and who you know, know what the, the, all the trials and tribulations of you know mum life and um, um, Anne and I just really clicked and have always got on really well and our sons are really good friends so um, we kind of got chatting and she obviously found out about my artwork and the fact that I like making things so um, every World Book Day I make my kids I'm that mum that some people do hate who <laughs> makes a really elaborate World Book Day costume every year it's my time to shine baby <laughs> and I am going to shine. So um, teaching you about that, I also make my kids every Thursday and make my kids and my nieces and nephews, um, which I believe are called nibblings, um, your nieces and nephews, um, I make them birthday crowns every year based on whatever they're into at the time. So obviously Anne has found out about all of these little weird things that I like doing and she worked at Back to the Garden and she said, oh, um, I think you'd really like um, Stuart and Jeannie. I think they'd really like you. I can set up a meeting and you can chat to them and see if there's perhaps a role there for you to bring this kind of creative weirdness to uh, Back to the Garden and bring some of those ideas to the lives of the children who are at Back to the Garden. So she arranged a, um, a meeting and um, I did get on with them really well. And um, Jeannie really wanted me to, um, do, at the time I did a project uh, a couple of years ago where I 
um, developed the atelier space. So I made some kind of changes to that space to make it easier to display the kids' artwork that they'd produced, made some different storage solutions so that materials and equipment were stored and easy to hand to the children. I created a, a, the option of making the space darker, so I made a curtain with applique Reggio quotes on so that they could darken that space and use projections and stuff. That was uh, the first thing that I worked on there, and also I decorated the shed space to make a, a seasonal wonderland. So that was the first uh, project that I did about the garden, and then I was developing the uh, garden area. Which is so exciting. And I, just reflecting back, loved the way you did the Wonderland and the Italian oh, cool. spaces. Just, you're like, um, you're like part of the extended Back to the Garden family, aren't you? Yeah, you're I like, think so. You're there and you come in and you sprinkle magic and then go and then come back again. <laughs> sprinkle. I'm like the art Mary Poppins. <laughs> you are, you are Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's let's talk through some of the exciting projects that are going on at the moment. What what are you um, focusing on? So at the moment, I'm working with Anne and the other staff members um, at, at the garden on developing the garden space. So we've kind of divided that into three areas: um, the garden itself, so using loose parts which is a big part of Reggio practice where you kind of provide loose parts on, on various scales obviously in the garden it's larger scale um, loose parts so that the children can invent and explore and make using lengths of pipe big bits of logs you know sticks and bricks and stuff like that so that's the kind of garden space is, is focusing on using loose parts and Anne's done quite a lot of work on, on that as well. And then the teepee space, we are transforming into a sensory space so that the all of the children, hopefully once the COVID situation has been resolved, everyone will be able to use that space much more because at the moment there are quite a few restrictions about making it safe, so dividing the different bubbles. But um, hopefully it will be a sensory space that all the children can use so there'll be um, the use of projections, the use of sound. So we've got the idea for using foraged sound, so going out, collecting sounds and noises from perhaps a woodland environment or stream, and then bringing those back to the nursery so that the children can experience those sounds within that space. Um, I've made quite a, a couple of hanging screens to go within the TP. One of them is to project onto and it's got a Joni Mitchell lyric appliqued on the top because obviously the name of the um, nursery is taken from Joni Mitchell's song. They're going to be able to project using um, images of murmurations of birds. I've got some really cool footage of jellyfish that I took when I was on holiday in North Wales a few years ago. Those kind of soothing natural um, footage is the sort of thing that we're planning to project there. And I've also made a, a, another hanging screen which is going to be enable them to display um, the work the children have done or interesting objects that they can peg onto that and um, so they can be displayed within the teepee and because the space is really big it's a, a very large teepee I thought it'd be good to create some smaller more intimate spaces in there so I've installed a reading nook that 
will mean that hopefully the children, I think children like the feeling of being enclosed and in a smaller space sometimes. So I've installed that. And the centrepiece of the TP is um, a new a cabinet that we've bought. It's a vintage cabinet, an antique cabinet that's got lots and lots of little drawers that hopefully the children will be able to store any treasures that they found and brought into nursery. I, when I say treasures, I mean an amazing pine cone or a really perfect pebble, my favourite pebble here, um, but they'll be able to put them in there to treasure them and keep them safe and make them into something that other children can look at. And that, that wonder camera, which is what they're calling it. Wonder um, cabinet. Yeah, a cabinet of wonders. Yeah. It, it, it kind of harks back to my grand's well stressor, this thing that contains all of these amazing objects that are so fascinating for children and it keeps them safe and separate so that they can be looked back on or it just keeps things really precious. And I also like the idea of using a mixture of different furniture and um, decor within the nursery. Obviously, the, the look of the back to the garden nursery is beautiful, kind of paired back Scandinavian look. But I think it's nice to mix that up with some more vintage, quirky pieces as well and um, handmade stuff. A lot of childcare environments don't have any handmade um, decor objects that sort of inspire the children. So I thought it would be really nice for them to have those kind of items in that environment so that's the um i love that just to just to hop in and it's so nice for them to have like old things like vintage as well because you're right like the nursery is very white natural light scandinavian um light airy but that's where it works so well as a blank canvas to bring items in they become like more like focal points and Definitely. that cabinet just sounds so exciting. It and the whole really description cool. of the teepee. I can't wait to see it one day. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's really cool. I'm quite jealous. My partner was quite jealous that we had to go and install it in the nursery rather than just keeping it in our house. But um, mm. yeah, it's a super nice uh, thing. So then talk us through some of the other aspects of what you're working on. So um, the other main space in the garden project is the shed space which um it's a large shed that's in the garden that um, has been there since the nursery um was built but it's it's never really uh, found a kind of permanent use it's always been a, it's gone from through a lot of different incarnations uh, obviously it was winter wonderland for a while um a couple of years ago so my vision for that space was to make it into a kind of tinker lab workshop that the children can do crafts and art and making woodwork. We uh, just had delivery of a, like a workbench and lots of woodworking tools. And I know that the staff are having training in how to lead those woodworking uh, workshops with the kids. So I wanted it to be that kind of environment where there's lots of all the stuff that you need to do those projects is there and they can feel really inspired and, and work on, you know, weaving or natural dyes, printmaking, 
which is something that I do in my own practice. I'm a printmaker, so love to talk to you about that and your your shop yeah. as well. That's really yeah. Um, so I'm I, I wanted it to be that kind of space, but also a space with lots of natural forms, but interesting natural forms, and so they can have science um, kind of. Uh, investigations can happen in there as well so things like interesting leaves that they found and those kind of objects and maybe insects preserved insects i found a bat skeleton on ebay that i think i'm going to have to get that space um so that you can see all of those natural amazing wonderful natural things that are, are so inspiring and just inspire their stories and their play so last weekend uh, we finished installing the main elements of that space so i worked in my brother who's super handy and also used to be bossed about by me to come and install a, a benching at the back of the shed so the kids it's quite low it's um you know so kids can stand there and work and um look at different things and do any of those craft activities and then there's storage for the tools that they um, will be able to use. There's lots of um, pilner jars that are attached to the underside of shelves, so we've got storage for screws and nails and those kind of little bits and pieces that they will need to do their woodworking project. And then I'm hoping to set up kind of kit for each of those different craft activities, so a printmaking kit, a natural dyeing kit, a weaving kit, so that it's a case of taking those and, and being able to do a workshop with the things that are in that kind of kit. But it's, I was also really inspired for that space by, I don't know if you've ever seen any photos of Roald Dahl's writing shed. Yes, it's love it. It's an amazing space. Oh. He had like, lots of objects that were kind of important to him or fascinating to him. So he, I think he had his hip, a replacement hip, like a titanium hip and a big ball of silver foil that he'd made. But every time he had a chocolate bar, he'd add another layer to this aluminium foil, silver foil ball. So it was a huge sphere of silver foil. It was just, it always used to fascinate me when I was a child, like that, the idea of these kind of, in a way, worthless objects. They're not worth anything to anyone else, but they're just so interesting and take on such a significance for a child, particularly, and obviously Roald Dahl was amazing at getting into the, the mind of a child. I think that's what makes made him... Uh, such a good author for children he he thought like children Mm -hmm. wow love 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 hearing about that um yeah it sounds so exciting and can't wait to see images and to be able to share with our with our audience um on the social media pages like what's happening and share some of these things that have been going on um gosh there's so much that I wanted to pick up on one of the other things as well that you mentioned before which I just wanted to highlight was foraging for sound that's so cool like because we always talk about foraging like items and wild items from nature and things, but actually going out as an activity and recording with a field mic or whatever they're going to use, recording sound and bringing that back to their space is so cool. So I just wanted to highlight that, that I love that. So I will ask you about your screen printing in a bit because I'm really excited to hear about that. Um I guess something that would be lovely to know now as a follow-on from hearing about you working with the nursery and with these projects is how have you managed to keep the dialogue and the, the project going through 
this whole time? Like, how have you been working with the team? What mediums have you used to communicate? Um, so one of the reasons, obviously, that um, Jeannie and Stuart were so keen to, to develop the uh, garden space was because of the restrictions that we've had with COVID, that being outside and using those spaces is obviously really helpful in terms of keeping so, a bit more social distance between kids and um, it's a healthy it's a healthy way to play being yes. outside. So that was one of the reasons that it, it particularly happened now during the pandemic. Anna and myself have um, made some, some hiding videos of, uh, updating the team because we can't meet everyone as a group. We have made some um, videos explaining what we've been up to and how we're implementing some of the ideas that they've told us because we have still been able to speak to people, just not in a kind of whole group context, but we've spoken to members of staff um, within the preschool team because that's one of the, the main groups that are using particularly the TP space at the minute because of the division of the bubbles, they use the TP. So we've spoken to Hannah and Holly about their ideas and we've done some work with those um, children in the preschool group and so we did the Whitworth mud art project with them and we did a I did a workshop with them where we did they, the children did lots of drawings of natural forms and inspired by natural forms that we've actually printed those onto window film and they're now installed in the shed which is quite exciting and we've also spoken to Sally and Pip in the who are some of the people who work in the baby room about their ideas for the babies and ha what things they'd like to have installed i think it's really important that we you know people who are working day to day with the with the children know what kind of things would be helpful and what sorts of things would engage the kids so we, we have had those informal chats and hopefully we're going to be able to carry on incorporating their ideas into what we develop the garden further going forward yeah that's lovely and we've also on the social media page we've shared about the mud play activities we've got some little videos and yeah, the, draw, the really mini beast cool. drawing workshop they're they're all on the social media and uh you sent me some pictures recently of the screens in the window which just looked so incredible yeah. the detail of their yeah. drawings and the way yeah, you've connected really it well. with the hundred languages of yeah. children the regio thing yeah because they um when i was speaking to the company that I got to print the uh, window film. My initial idea was that I was going to have the images as a kind of cut-out decal, um, but because of the detail of the children's drawings, that wasn't possible in the end. But it was one of those moments, a kind of a happy accident in a way, because really those images in black on a white background ties in really well with the kind of regio sort of aesthetic that I've seen in, in some of the books that I've looked at. They often use, um, you know, black black and white on a just a white background and simple drawing, simple line drawing. So it worked out really well. So hopefully the kids are going to be able to maybe recognise their drawings. I yes. can certainly remember, you know, this was this child's centipede and this child's um, pine cone. But I just love their draw the way their drawings just, kind of distill the essence of something so their pine cone drawings are just so pine coney and yeah. spiky so they can really get the texture and the observation notes were really interesting as well during that workshop which which we also shared so we'll link to all those things on the show notes were you using mind maps 
with the team? Um, I um, used mind maps to, well, Anna and myself used mind maps to put together our ideas. So that's something that I often do is that I make mind maps or, I mean, sometimes mind maps is a little bit of a grand word, grand phrase for something that is quite scrappy. I keep a sketchbook. That's one of like something that I've done for ever since I did my PGC, actually. I must have seen of these sketchbooks. I just make notes of things that I've overheard, snippets of conversation, little sketches and drawings and working things out, plans. Um, I put all those in my sketchbook. So in the first instance, I collated everything in there and then I made them into a more polished mind map so that I could show those to the staff at the nursery and to Jeannie and Stuart, sort of exploring what we were planning to do so that they could see back to us what they, what they thought of those plans. Yeah, I like hearing your creative process. Um, yeah, so I sketchbooks. That's my top tip because everyone should keep keep a sketchbook. Everyone's an artist. Not people always say, "Oh, I'm not artistic" or "I'm not creative." But you are. Everyone, everyone is, and and people feel disheartened and discouraged because they're they're not matching up to their a particular set of ideas about what things should look like. But it doesn't even need to be good. You need to just be something. It, it's such a good thing to do to to do something creative or to draw no one adults hardly ever draw but it's such a relaxing thing to do and to get yourself into that flow state i only have found out about the idea of flow state in the last few years but obviously that's what what happens when you're doing art or you know as yourself you're a musician so making music um anything that puts you into that state where you're not thinking consciously about what's going on you're just uh, so absorbed in your task and that's how children are and I just think when we lose that as adults it's just a real shame and people all everyone should keep sketchbook I love sketchbooks keep all your ideas together I note down the funny things my kids say which is a lot because otherwise you you will forget them top top mum tip you'll never remember them write it down otherwise even a week later you've forgotten it so I can look back on the little things that my sons have said like how does how do they get the pasta into pasta does pasta hatch out of pasta shells <laughs> or like you put those leaves there he'd be like looking out the window in spring he'd be like oh, you put those leaves there suddenly the leaves are on the trees and they just come up with all these things so yeah that's my sketchbook is just a repository for all of my brain I love it. The the flow state. Um, I do something called the artist's way, and it's um, oh, yeah. a, a morning ritual. And it's just where you where you write everything that comes into your head, even if it's just blah blah blah. <laughs> you just um, free flow, write words, yeah. and by doing that, it accesses that um, where you where you kind of step out the way and just allow things to flow, and that's where the little like gems of inspiration and. Um, they they come through within that and then I love like capturing things that people might say um phrases or metaphors just love like right that's that's my thing I like writing down little like phrases but I'm you've inspired me to start doodling um and I hope everyone listening whoever yeah just start get a sketchbook and start sketching what would you what would you say for like in terms of that well I think that 
all of it's valid. My my sketchbook isn't, there's not that much observational drawings in there. Although I did, during lockdown, I started doing, um, for the summer of lockdown, I did a drawing a day, which was an observational drawing a day, which, you know, it's nice because it just gets you to really stop and focus and lose yourself in that flow state. But there's just a lot of things that I've cut out of uh, magazines or things that I've picked up in the street, jigsaw, individual jigsaw pieces that I found in the street, playing cards that I found in the street, interesting typography that I found on old packaging, vintage packaging, mm. all of that kind of stuff I find super inspiring. I'm like a bit of a typography geek. It, it cuts me to the quick when people use like a really dreadful typefaces or they take away the, the original signage for a shop and put something up that's just so generic and horrible. Um, when we lived in Brighton, we saved, we were walking home from town one day and they were taking down the signage for the Sainsbury store, the old, an old Sainsbury store that was closing and they, they were throwing away into a skip loads of vintage original letters that would have been kind of lit with neon inside them. They were like 3D. So we, I was like, right, Matt, come on, we've got to go around the back. So we went around the back and basically salvaged loads of these letters. In fact, there's one. It's an M, but we have it in our bedroom as a Z. Oh, cool. Yeah. So that kind of... Love that. I, love, I love typography and just... Yeah. Um, everything's so inspiring. I don't know what the saying is, but one person's... One person's, one person's trash is another person's trash. Trash, that's it. For sure. I'm all about the pound rail and we've got a pound rail in our local charity shop. And I just find so many gems there. And I, my kids love dressing up. As I said, Joe is total um, fashionista. But um, they don't have very much. They don't have a like a Darth Vader outfit or a, that kind of thing. I yes. just get them stuff from the pound rail, like weird sort of velvet jacket or strange hat and that kind of stuff. They can then make their own um, characters and Character. come up with their own vision, which is cool. And it's also eco-friendly. That's the other thing I try yes. and in this garden project, I've tried to use where you know where I can and um, stuff that I that I've repurposed because it's eco-friendly and those objects and things have a history, which is is nice. For kids. Yeah, and obviously the nurseries. One of the core principles is the um, sustainability, and that's lovely to actually quite inspiring for anyone listening because Halloween's coming up, and I know the kids aren't going to be trick-or-treating, but it's how we can... Halloween, like, costumes, that is so, like, fast fashion-y, isn't it? They're just... Yeah, and all... also so flammable. Uh, oh, yeah. Know, they, a lot of them are really dangerous and, like, you've got to be so careful with the those sort of spruffy, tutu-y type things. They, they are really flammable. So, yeah, and my two are already planning. Joe's got really into the Day of the Dead, um, mm. Mexican Day of the Dead, and he's got a... Um, He's planning ahead already to what he's going to wear for Halloween, although we aren't going trick-or-treating. We're just going to be in our house yeah. in Haribo here. Um, he wants to wear his suit, which he inherited from his poor friend, and then do his face with a day of the dead, like a sugar skull. Uh, I can time. imagine it. Yeah, so um, where we were talking about creatives and how everyone is creative, also, I'd like to chat to you about... Um, how important creatives are 
to society. And obviously, one of the big things at the nursery is we is creativity with the children. We value it so much. It's so important. And for people in society to be creatives and how, yeah, it'd just be nice to maybe perhaps touch on that conversation because I know it's slightly controversial at the moment, but it would be yeah, interesting to hear your thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, I was just looking prepare for our um, chat I was looking up about how much it contributes to to our national income and it's it, you know it's our it's one of our best exports it's our one of our national success stories our creative industry um, and I just think it's got people through lockdown what have people been doing in lockdown what have they been turning to for solace they've been turning to music they've been turning to film they've been turning to all of those creative outputs have helped people so much get through this really difficult period in their lives. And, um, you know, I just think all, any investment uh, gives back many times over in terms of, you know, economically, but also in terms of people's mental health. And I think kids are naturally creative and their instinct and impulse is to be creative and and want to create their own world and mould the world to how their their vision is. So it's just a case of facilitating that and allowing that to happen in the case of children. I think that that's their natural instinct. It's just don't get in the way. That's all we have to do is not get in the way of that process. Yeah. Um, obviously for adults, adults are much more, uh, you know, they've got more hang-ups and feel embarrassed or shy or um, like they're not good enough. But and I think in terms of children, it's just a case of um, letting them experiment and explore. And it all mixes in together, you know, they've, they've got like creativity that uh, want to investigate and explore ideas and invent stuff. That's what they naturally want to do. So I, I think that's really important as part of their development and something that happens loads at Back to the Garden and hopefully will happen even more now that we're getting these outdoor spaces um, set up which will give them all of these yeah. opportunities yeah exactly and is the outdoor play and creativity are key to supporting children's mental health and all of us in general I think it's lovely hearing you talk about that how it's how it has been one of the things that's helped so many families through lockdown creating together even like creating in the kitchen creating art creating like games yeah it's all a creative process something also that's quite interesting is how children are naturally creative and then I almost think the elderly are it's a children play and then when you get to the elderly that generation almost the sense of play returns but it yeah. kind of gets lost in between yeah I think so well the, I know that those kind of memories in terms of music is one of the things that I in the case of people who've got dementia, it's one of the last memories to, to go. So my granddad had dementia when he was in his sort of later life and he could still remember, um, you know, if you sang to him, it was like he'd, he could connect with that really, really well. And yeah, I think also that generation, the older generation didn't have the, um, the internet. The internet is... It's amazing in one way. You've got all of this opportunity, all of this um, knowledge, but at the same time, it means that often 
boredom is the first thing that needs to happen. You need to be bored in order to create something. And a lot of the time, people don't have any chance to be bored. You know, if they've got a little bit of downtime, they're just checking their phone, uh, scrolling, looking at stuff on the, on the phone instead of perhaps in previous generations, that would have been an opportunity for daydreaming, opportunity for creativity. I, my kids, if they ever come to me saying that they're bored, I usually say, I'm sure something will come along. So funny. I want to let them solve that problem. I don't want to be a kind of constantly filling up their day. And they are very good at um, coming up with their own activities. So that's, that's something that I got from a book called Simplicity Parenting, which I'd really recommend. And um, it's by a guy called Kim John Payne. And, we'll um, link to that. Yeah, it really, it, I, I read it when my kids were a bit younger and it just, I think a lot of it tied into how I think about childhood anyway, but it's all about keeping things simple in terms of the, the amount of activity in your kids' lives, keeping things simple in terms of their surroundings um, because that's what lets them flourish really. It, it, in fact, the kind of overload that often happens um, he noticed that children in the West were exhibiting kind of post-traumatic stress, almost symptoms of post-traumatic stress. And it was because their lives are so hectic. They're being buried from one thing to another and their toys are very fixed and very um, overstimulating. So it was really inspiring. I found that book really inspiring in terms of uh, keeping childhood simple. Yeah, I love that. And I can tell how why you and Anne get on so well um because she said something really similar in her interview about boredom and what she says to her son I'm sure you'll think of something um so yeah we'll definitely um reference that um that book in our show notes we're taking a short break from this fascinating episode to introduce today's amazing sponsor kit and kin they are trailblazers in the nappy world and we are proud users of them in our nursery Can you believe that the third largest contributor to landfill is disposable nappies? In the UK alone, we go through 8 million every day. With climate change clearly having an impact, Kit and Kin have given us an eco-friendly alternative to take care of our baby's bottoms and our planet at the same time. Their multi-award winning nappies are made using plant-based sustainable materials, as well as being unbleached and dioxin free. They are clinically tested to ensure they're hypoallergenic and approved by dermatologists. And they come in the cutest animal designs. To make this company even more incredible, for every 10 subscriptions, they fund the purchase of one acre of threatened rainforest through the World Land Trust. Head over to kittenkin.com and use the discount code BABY20, specially created for our listeners to receive 20% off their first subscription order. They have a range of wipes, skincare and baby wear too. Now back to the discussion. I'm loving this conversation, by the way. <laughs> the, I'd like to know about your creative projects, perhaps what you're doing currently. Also, um, do you have time? Do you make time for your own personal creative projects while you're teaching and doing other things like the nursery project? Um, well, so I came to screen printing quite late because like I said my high school experience was quite a lot of drawing a crumpled up whisper wrapper it was all quite low low fi low budget 
So we didn't do any printmaking or play or anything like that at school. So I did a printmaking course at a print studio in Brighton. was called BIP. I think it's called Inkspot Press now. And learned how to screen print there. Because my, I'm not really fine artist. My, my work is quite... It's quite graphic design, illustration, typography. It's not really fine art painting and drawing. So screen printing fitted really well with that. So when my son was born, my eldest son was born, I, my brother, again, what a legend, came and made me a tiny studio in a small section of our hallway in Brighton so that I could screen print while the baby was napping. And so I've, ever since I've um, had the kids i've sold my work online predominantly in my etsy shop um, and actually, it's actually closed at the minute because during the pandemic they were both at home and i didn't want to be constantly having to go and post orders and stuff and um, because going to the post office i was a bit of a sort of transmission risk so it is closed at the minute but i do need to reopen it because we're coming up to christmas and everyone's going to want their the archers tea towels so i've done um my two best sellers are one is a screen print of um, a shipping forecast so it's a cup of tea and in the steam above the cup of tea are the shipping forecast areas um, from the shipping forecast on Radio 4 which has always been something that really fascinates me that it's so nice it's like poetry it's there you know regularly even though I've never you know been to sea I just love the sound of all those different there's different places it's just is like a an amazing poem and i kind of imagine those salty sea dogs uh listening to the news of like incoming gales so that's one of my uh bestsellers and the other one is the, the theme tune for the archers coming out the top of a roberts radio that it has been a, an absolute bestseller and <laughs> um, so i sell that as a tea towel so i do need to reopen it but yeah i am um, now we live in manchester so i've got a slightly bigger studio which is in the garage at the moment it's buried under loads and loads of stuff which has been moved from other areas of our house because we're renovating our house but definitely when my kids were small i was just desperate to have some time for me some time to have that creativity and the sort of pre-mum me it was really important to have that so that was why i had a really strong desire to do that then and i, I do i do still a bit I, I do lots of you know i do other bits of detail doing the stuff about the garden i've done stuff for a, a pr company which is local to me where i've made things for their events that they've run like you know made batch productions of various things like book safes you know when you have a hollow inside a book i've kind of made 40 of those for a vodka launch for them and things like that so i've now got four nibblings and my two sons so i'm often making the birthday crowns and i like making stuff for the kids and, and kind of making those kind of craft things i'm obviously doing up our house so i quite like a challenge so i'm maybe see the listeners can't see but Sadie can see um my bedside lights can you see it oh yes uh, so it's an old factory light so I bought them on eBay and then stripped them and rewired them with like a green flex and put new switches and stuff on them that kind of stuff I love it amazing stuff so uh the other thing that I'm really into is mending 
I like visible mending, so darning. So this is my cardigan. I did quite a few over lockdown. Um, I did a few workshops on the Toast website. They had some really amazing uh, Zoom workshops. But they've actually, I think, still got the Zoom um, recordings up on their on their website, so you can go. So I did um, a darning workshop and the Sashiko, which is um, visible mending, Japanese visible mending, where you do like a often do it on denim. So those kind of working with my hands, I just love that. So either I might not be doing my artwork, but I have these other creative outlets. Yeah, yeah. and capturing things in your sketchbook as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And those ideas, that's the thing about a sketchbook. A sketchbook. Often I'll um, jot something down and then, uh, you know, it could be years later, like the, the um, shipping forecast drawing, um, I think I drew that like years before I finally made it into a screen print. It, it was an idea that had been kind of bubbling away um, and I'd recorded it in my sketchbook. And then I often, if I'm ever stuck for inspiration, I'll look back through my sketchbooks and then it, they always give me um, new ideas. Oh, love that. Um, thank you for sharing. And, and it's exciting to hear that you're going to be launching your Etsy shop again. So we'll link Definitely. to that so people can keep a lookout for when, when it's live. Oh, God, I do need to. I need to. I need to <laughs> like, this might be the nudge. Again. This is the nudge, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> I've been thinking I must do it. And then this whole, you know, working it back to the garden, I've just been like wanting to uh, focus on that while, but that's coming to an end, that particular project. Yes. So hopefully... Um, I'll be able to have a bit more time to do the Etsy shop. And then I'm hoping I can perhaps do um, regular teaching at Buckley Garden workshops with the kids. Oh, using love those that. spaces. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I guess we're, we're coming towards the end now. Is there anything else you would like to share that hasn't been covered so far? Let me refer to my notes. I was going to ask you about, um, did you have a mentor? Um, well... Often on every kind of course that I've done, I've kind of usually made a friend who's then been really inspiring to me, who, you know, I had a friend on my art foundation and then on my degree course, my friend Helen made a lot of amazing work. She made it, made lots of cosy for things. So she made some DJ decks cosy, so they were like umbrellas, knitted cosies. It was really cool. Um, and I just find other creative people really inspiring. On my MA, my the kind of one of the professors on my MA is George Hardy, who's a who did quite a few album covers for Pink Floyd, etc. You'd know it if you saw his work. You'd, you'd know his work, and he says, which um, I think is a really good way of describing um, sort of life as a visual artist. I notice things and get things noticed. That's what he says is his kind of. Uh, sums up his job and yeah so I'm just inspired by my my friends my kids uh, it says on here about if I, money was no object what would I do oh yeah that was one of my one of my rapid fires yeah oh, I'm so sorry I've no no it. go for it that's so the question is uh we asked this um to every guest at the end if money time and logistics were no object what would you create for children well, I'd create it for me as well and with children. But I would love to have a treehouse. 
I need a tree. I haven't got the right tree. That's the problem. But I suppose money's an object. So and and logistics an object. So I'd have an amazing tree, and I build a fabulous tree house with several stories to it, and maybe some kind of uh, lift, like Swiss Family Robinson. So so cool. That's what I'd like to do. And also, I think for children, if it was more for children, the tree house is Mr. D is quite for me. If it was for children. I really love those um, kind of free play playgrounds that they that I've seen. I think in Europe, they have them in Europe where it's not a kind of pre-built climbing frames and things like that. You, the kids just have pallets and huge tires and bits of wood, and they're allowed to just build an amazing do what they you know do what they want with the space, make their own structures, make their own play equipment, and. Mm. Um, the kind of idea of having that kind of space that children could use and maybe kind of natural areas to it as well. So trees and hidden um, hiding places in the bushes. I'd like to have that for my kids and other kids who live nearby. Love that. I would like to go there. (laughs) Well, um, next question. What rights should children innately have? Okay. I think that children should have the right to daydream. Daydream, yes. I mean, I'd written other things as well, but they're all in the same vein. The right to wonder and be yeah. amazed at things. Um, right to a simple, slow life and to be free, to be creative. I think, yeah, just to be to daydream and have time to go into their own imaginary world love that love that and lastly finish this sentence children are children are artists inventors and makers yes love it thank you (laughs) so was there anything else you wanted to share I um I think we've covered everything that I've written down on my um, my bit of paper. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so interesting on so many levels in terms of the work you're doing at the nursery, children's creativity, your stories, very inspiring. Yeah, so I've, I've loved it. Actually, I'm thinking about maybe what, what the listeners might, might be thinking if there's somebody out there that's looking for a mentor. Um, do you do that kind of thing? Do you mentor artists like um, you had mentors yeah, I'd, be, I'd be definitely up for it if anybody wants to be mentored or yeah. or ask you any questions for based on things yeah. that you've shared so you can always reach yeah. out um yeah and i am on instagram and i am on facebook um as a, a kind of shanushka i find that i can disappear down the rabbit hole so for sanity i have stepped away from it a bit I need to, I think, try and um, post on social media without going down that rabbit hole. But um, I am there um, if anybody wants to look me up on there. I am Sharnushka. Sharnushka. We can link to that. Um, But it's just, yeah, it's been really, really interesting and so exciting, everything that you're doing at the nursery. And thank you so much for your time today. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to meet you, Ella. (laughs) Nice to meet you too. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave us a review in iTunes or on your podcast app. Follow Back to the Garden Childcare on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We would love to hear your thoughts on today's subject. And for everything mentioned in today's episode, you can head to the show notes at backtothegardenchildcare.com forward slash podcast. And if there's someone you know who would love to hear this episode, share it with them today. Send them a link, screenshot the app or just chat about it. This podcast is recorded at LBS Studios. Until next time, in the words of Joni Mitchell, we are stardust, we are golden, and we've got to get ourselves back to the garden. Thank you.